I was born and raised in the state of Oklahoma. Woody Guthrie served as songwriter, conscience, and documenter of a whole generation from the Great Depression through the war years and beyond. This is one of the few concert recordings ever made of Woody, a wire recording from 1949, lost for half a century, and then given to the Woody Guthrie Foundation archive run by his daughter, Nora Guthrie. She has interesting things to say about what her father did not do. If you say the word concert now, people see 2,000 people in a show. It's a concert, arena, stadium. So when you talk about Woody did a concert, if you don't explain that that meant there was 25 people in a back room at a Jewish Y in New Jersey, it really changes the, <laughs> the story a little bit, and it's much more realistic. That is the kind of concerts that Woody did. In fact, it's hard to understand now in our celebrity-crazed culture someone who became such an icon of progressive thought, spirit, and protest in such a relatively modest context. He wasn't what we now refer to as a recording artist either. It was another time. Woody recorded probably 10 days in his whole life in a recording studio. And I think I'm raising the ballpark there on that one. So he basically would sing a song once. He sang looking at words in a notebook that he would bring along because he couldn't even memorize his own words. There were so many of them. So he would just turn the pages and say, here's another one I wrote. It's about this. And he would just sing it. One take. Sitting there in the Guthrie archive, about an hour north of the city, Nora Guthrie and I began to pull stuff out. A sound file labeled Bing Crosby, Woody Guthrie. Worlds collide, you might say. Have you ever heard this before? No. Did you know that Bing Crosby did this? I heard a rumor that he had recorded it, yeah. I knew that he had, but I never heard it. Pretty much everything we listened to got Nora Guthrie going. I was thinking it was pretty daring of Bing Crosby to do a recording of Woody's. Woody was still blacklisted at the time. He was still being investigated by, even in the hospital, all those years, the FBI was still showing up to see who his visitors were and etc. But it probably took, uh, I would imagine, a little bit of... Uh, stuff for Bing Crosby and people like that to work with any Woody Guthrie material at the time. We reach for another mystery item, something called Observation Point. Hello, this is Observation Point. An old radio interview with Marjorie Guthrie, a dancer and sort of a free spirit whom Woody married in 1945. That was Nora's mother. Marjorie had just published a collection of writings by her husband, who was by that time suffering from the degenerative disease that cast a shadow over the last nearly 20 years of his life. Well, he, he was starting. He had on just his, started, yes. and he had traveled a good deal, but he hadn't organized or formalized his writing at yes, that time. Yes. As a matter of fact, uh, it reminds me that Alan Lomax told me at that time, Marjorie, save everything he writes. Don't throw anything out. That's just what I did. <laughs> that would be Alan Lomax, the king of American field collectors of folk music. He didn't save his things yet. 
They were just in papers and on pieces of notebooks and bags and magazines. He would write wherever he could. He loved paper and loved to fill it up. Nora Guthrie appears to be hearing this tape for the first time. This is stuff that was around my house my whole life, on bookshelves and in cupboards and anything. And my mom really, really did pack and save everything, just based on Alan Lomax's word. But here we are, sitting with a couple of 10,000 or 15,000 documents, 3,000 lyrics, 100 notebooks. I love when she said that line, like, Woody just loved paper and he just wanted to fill it up. It was truly damn. He's just playing his records. doing a DJ thing. (laughs) So maybe he didn't save his own papers, but he could take pleasure in his own gifts. One tape we heard found Woody with a tape recorder in its early days, around 1950, taping his own records, playing. You could hear him overdubbing and whistling and harmonizing with himself. Down along the river, just something on a rock. I'm looking at the boats in the Barnabelle lot. Seemed to be having a wonderful time, adding new harmonies. And you could sometimes hear him strumming along. Although Nora Guthrie says the strumming was secondary, in a way. Woody was a writer. I mean, that was his real forte, was as a writer, poet-writer. And he really considered his guitar playing a very kind of minor contribution to the art of songwriting. He never had a Lucille guitar. He never paid more than 125 bucks for a guitar in his life. It was a machine to him. It was a tool. This is one of the songs uh, called Pastures of Plenty. That may be, but here's where the mystery and the power of the story come out. Coming back to that 1949 Wire recording, we listen to a little Pastures of Plenty. Rural roots music is pretty darn simple (laughs) one or two chords three my dad used to say three if you're trying to impress a girl listening to that track of pastures of plenty is hard you have to really kind of settle yourself in and say what's it about why is he writing that song and you have to care you have to be into it but on the other hand it's inspirational in a way it's a mighty hard road my poor hands have hold. Inspirational is the word. We're thinking about Woody Guthrie now, all these years later, because like all the greatest songwriters, something in the song, the words, the music, or how they go together, makes other people remember it and want to sing it and do things with it and to it and beyond it forever. For WNYC, I'm Sarah Fishko. I've wandered all over your green growing land. Wherever your crops are, I'll lend you my hands. On the edge of your city, See me and then I come with the dust And I'm gone With a 